it's, I am really thankful to be here with you this morning. I'm thankful that every week we get to do what the church has done for generations, for centuries. And we get to gather. We come together for the purpose of worshiping together, for pointing to our God, for reminding ourselves of who he is and what he has done for us. Knowing that we come to a building, we come with other people, but we are the church in the world. We get to shine his light from there. And I've believed for a long time that when we come together, it encourages us and challenges us so that we can go back out. We can help others to see who Jesus is. And I'm thankful for today, for moments today that we have to be here together. And I know it has been a weird week. It's been a long year. But today we get to get to be together to be refreshed in a common faith, to re-engage in a life with our Savior, and to refocus ourselves on who He is. You know, this year, if we just look at 2020, we have experienced global pandemic, racial tensions, a recession like we haven't seen before. We've experienced church attendance in a weird way, many of us shifting to online for the first time, trying to figure out when is it safe to go back. We have to wear these things everywhere we go. It's different than what we've known. And quite frankly, none of us really know how to navigate it well. But there's something special about being together. There's something important about being able to be in a place where we worship our Savior, and whether we're like-minded politically, it doesn't matter. Whether we like the same football team, it doesn't matter. What we know is that when we come together today, we get to turn our eyes toward Jesus and look full in his face, focus on who he is. And man, I need that today. This is one of those days when the week has been weird, when being driven away from people is hard when the separation we feel is difficult. And yet, I just need Jesus. Can you relate to that? Like, I think you're here this morning. I think we're all here this morning because we just need Jesus. We need to be reminded of the goodness of a Savior. We need to be reminded that there will be a day when this is over. There will be a day when all of this is over and life reigns. We also need to remember that the God we serve today is the one who has promised to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're not the first to go through a pandemic, and God sustained his people throughout that. We're not the first to go through racial tensions, and God's people have always risen up to proclaim what is true and good. We're not the first to experience death. We're not the first to experience heartache. We're not the first to experience hard times, and yet God has been faithful for generations to his people. So we turn our eyes to him and we focus on who he is. The God who led the Israelites out of Egypt and provided manna in the desert is the God we serve today. The God who made the walls of Jericho fall down also made a giant fall down from a shepherd's sling. The God whom David wrote psalms to and worshipped is the God that we worship today, that we turn our eyes to and we focus on and we remember who he is. We worship the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, and the God of Paul and Peter 
and the apostles. And so we worship and honor him today. 2020 has been a year unlike any we have ever seen before. But we serve the one true God who is above it all, and he is faithful. So today we're going to look at the story of Elijah in 1 Kings, continue what we started talking about last week, 1 Kings 17. We know the story. We're going to enter it again instead of looking for the miracle. We know this, the widow's son came to life. I want us to look for Jesus, to find who he is, the one we should always be looking for, the one that we know. Several years ago, Somebody gifted us with a Bible. It's not like a Bible that you've seen before. It's a Jesus Storybook Bible, Sally Lloyd-Jones, where it's illustrated and tells us. And you can, I don't know if you can see it or not, but there's a little tagline there for, that goes with it. It says, every story whispers his name. Everything written in there whispers the name of Jesus. It points us to him, saying everything that has been written before in the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything we know points to Jesus. C.S. Lewis said it like this, look for Christ and you will find him, and with him, everything else. What happens when we look for Jesus? Let's answer that question in a little bit. For now, I want us to step back a little bit from last week, 1 Kings 17. We're going to start in verse 8, kind of catch up where we were last week, and start afresh today. 1 Kings 17. Then the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah when he was at the brook of Cherith. Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hands, you know, Ryan and I were having a conversation about that this week and about how cool it is that later Jesus talked to a woman at a well, gave her living water. She said, as the Lord lives, your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son. That we may eat and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it. Bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jars of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days, and the jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word that the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. And after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. His illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And he said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You've come to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms, and he carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and lay down on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? And he stretched himself on the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house delivered him to see his mother. 
Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. The word of God in your mouth is true. Would you pray with me? Father, may you move in this place. Holy Spirit, do what you want to here. Help us to turn our eyes to Jesus, to see him alive and living and active in our world. And help us to see him alive and active in the story of a widow Zarephath. God, may we experience the truth of your name. May we see and know who you are today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So last week, we saw that Elijah was at a brook. God provided food and water for him. We saw that God moved him to Zarephath where there was a woman who God had commanded to provide food for Elijah to feed him. The most basic needs, food and water. God always provides the most basic needs. Israelites, he provided manna in the desert for the 5,000. He provided bread and fish from two loaves. He provided oil for Elijah and the woman and flour. And he's provided just enough for you. Yet you know, this world is kind of weird. And there's times when you've got enough and everything is good. Seems like God is providing. And then the car breaks down. There's an unexpected bill, divided nation, a global pandemic, racial tensions and riots, and we all go, where is God? Is he really providing? And yet, what is God? God is faithful. He is true. In the case of the widow, she had to deal with the death of her son. I assume her only son. No husband, her son has died, and yeah, God provided bread, but in this moment, she really wasn't concerned with bread. She was grieving the loss of her son. What have you against me, O man of God? Have you come here to remind me of my sin so that my son would die? Is that why you're here? And now what we do when something goes wrong, we blame we are so fixated on, on, on what is happening. We blame the politicians. We blame God. We blame our neighbors. The woman blames Elijah, sort of. She's keenly aware of what was in her past. She's keenly aware of who she had been before God came into her life, before he was providing. She's aware that there is something different. She believes her sin caused the death of her son. And in some ways, she's right. Sin causes death. Adam and Eve were not to die, but from the moment that God cast them out of the garden because of their sin, we saw death. Sin causes the death of marriages. Sin has caused our world to die. Things that have happened in our world from natural disasters and erosions and in our bodies that are aching because, well, this wasn't the way it was supposed to be. It's quite possible that we will not fully understand the impact of death on our world until we understand the impact of the new heavens and the new earth, what God has done. You know, death is not the end of the story for any of us. And the story that God has been writing from the very beginning is one of life and hope that he wants to bring us that hope and life. It's not the story God is telling, but what happens when we look for Jesus? That's what we're going to do. We're going to look for Jesus. What do we find when we look for Jesus in the stories? How does this story and every story whisper his name? How does the story God is telling through you whisper the name of Jesus? 
Here's what we find. When we look for Jesus, we find that he is the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. The woman's most basic need was bread. In John 6.48, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. They're complaining about not having food. And he says over and over, I'm the bread of life. If you come to me, you shall not hunger. If you believe in me, you shall never thirst. In verse 35, they're complaining in verse 41, where's the food? He says, and he says again, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. I said, what do you mean? In verse 48, Jesus says this, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers, they ate manna in the wilderness. And they died. The manna rotted if they kept it too long. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I will give for the, wor- for the life of the world is my flesh. Bread is the thing that God provided for this woman. She knew the smell of bread well. Every day she could wake up to the smell of bread because every day she reached her hand into the jar and was reminded of God's provision. She knew the nutrients she got from the bread. She knew the strength that she was given from that. But Jesus is aware of greater than a physical need. We have a greater need than physical bread. He is living bread coming down from heaven to give us life. He is living water if we taste and see that the Lord is good. We eat the bread of life, then we shall not hunger. Shall never thirst. He meets our most basic needs with bread that will never run dry, our salvation. The smell of bread never dissipates from Jesus. The taste will never leave our tongues. But the satisfaction we find in him will never go away. Have you ever noticed that when you walk into your house, especially during pandemic, and banana bread or sourdough bread or some other kind of bread is baking, it smells really good. But eventually the smell goes away. Eventually the taste leaves our tongues. The energy that we get from it is gone. But the life we have in Jesus never leaves. We look to him and we find him. We find that he is the bread of life. And we also find that he takes away sin. So John the Baptist said, John 129, Jesus is coming from a far way off and Jesus sees John sees Jesus out there and he says, look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Joseph is struggling whether or not to marry Mary, to take her as his bride. And the angel comes to him and says, she's going to bear a son. She'll call him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. I mean, the woman, she had bread. She was focused on her sin and she's reminding Elijah, asking Elijah, what have you against me? You've come to bring my sin to remembrance and the cause of death to my son. She's keenly aware of what is going on, thinking that now that things were good, maybe her sin wouldn't hurt her anymore. We do that, don't we? When we, we know our past, we know our struggles, we know what's been there. We don't want to deal with it. So we think, well, something's going good. Maybe that's the way it is. God steps in. The woman did understand that sin would be called to account. What she didn't understand was the fullness of the grace of God in these moments. People are often focused on our sin. 
I'm too good for God, or I'm too bad for God to save me. I deserve punishment. I don't deserve the goodness of who he is, that relationship with him. That's not the way God operates. God doesn't say, fix yourself and then come to me. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let me forgive you. Jesus' blood has covered up our sin. We need to stop living as if it hasn't. He came to take away the sin of the world. Followers of Jesus, yes, we need to be aware of our sin. We need to be aware of it because it reminds us of the grace that we have been given, of the goodness of who he is. The death occurred so that we could be free from sin. We may live a new life. The woman's sin probably did not cause the death of her son. At least it doesn't tell us that that's why. In the case of David and Bathsheba, when the child was born, God said, this is the punishment. But sin did cause the Son of God to come and die for us. Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth willingly to be born of a virgin with the explicit purpose to save his people from their sins, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. On this side of the cross, we knew what Jesus came to do. We, knew, we know who he is. We know why he died. He died to save us from the penalty of sin and free us from its effect. He came to give us life and not death, but he had to die. The widowed woman may have been very aware of her sin, but she was not aware of her Savior. She did not know why he had come. The price of sin is death. But God had a plan from before he cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, before he laid the foundations of the world to save us through his son. He set a people and a lineage aside. He brought about a priesthood. He gave us a sacrificial system to point to the son, the savior. He spoke through the prophets to point to the Messiah. And when the time was right, he gave us Jesus. God in flesh who came to take away the sin of the world, who came to give us life. What greater gift has ever been given that Jesus, the Son of God, would come to die for us? And when we look for Jesus, we find that he takes away sins. And when we look for Jesus, we find that he is the mediator between God and man. He mediates on our behalf. 1 Timothy 2. If you want to turn there, you can. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, this is Paul writing to Timothy about the salvation that we have, the grace we have in God. And he says this, he goes, there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. One God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, the one who goes before us on our behalf. When it comes to our sin, Jesus is the only one who could mediate the price, the only one who could pay the ransom. But in the widow's story in 1 Kings 17, we see a fascinating wrinkle. The only person she knows that follows the God of Israel is Elijah, and she hands her son to him. What have you against me? And he says, give me your son. And she does. In your grieving moments, have you ever wanted to hand off the thing that you're grieving over? She hands over her son to Elijah, the prophet, who takes him away. Asking Elijah to be a mediator. Asking Elijah to do something that no one has ever seen. And Elijah is the one who becomes a mediator between the woman and God. He mourns with her. He prays over the child, lays his arms over, her, over him, begs God to bring life back into him. Oh, Lord, my God. Let this child's life come into him again. 
You know, Elijah had seen God do some fascinating things. But nobody had ever seen a person raised back to life until now. It had not happened. Enoch never died, but nobody had been brought back to life. Nobody had experienced the joy that God gives in that. No one had seen the dead rise again. Resurrection of life is a miraculous thing. As Christians, we believe that it is possible because of who Jesus is, but we may have never experienced it. We've heard the stories, but I don't know any of you that have experienced this. At least you haven't told me about it. <laughs> the stories of the resurrection are scattered throughout the word of God. Elijah raised the widow's child. Elisha raised a son. A boy from the dead. Dead men came to life when they touched his bones. Jesus raised a young boy and a young girl to life. He also raised Lazarus. Most importantly, Jesus was resurrected from the dead himself. Elijah was the mediator between God and man. The foreshadowing of Christ for us. All they could do was pray that God would restore the life to that child. And he did. But as a mediator for us, Jesus leaned into death taking our sin upon himself on the cross that we may have life. But he didn't stay dead. We look for Jesus, we find our mediator. What we also find is that Jesus is the resurrection. Have you ever felt like life just had no hope? Like there was nothing good that could happen, that if only things could be done over? Mary and Martha experienced the death of their brother, Lazarus. They were upset because Jesus didn't come to them earlier. If only you would have come earlier, Jesus, maybe you could have saved his life. Maybe my brother could live. And Jesus says, your brother will rise again. She says, I know. In the last day, he will rise again. Jesus says, no. John 11, verse 25. says, no, it's not, it's not that he will rise again then in the last day. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked her a question. Do you believe this? Martha, yes, Lord, I, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. For those of us who believe in Jesus, who have accepted him as our Savior, we know that death is not the end. We know that there is life. Sin is not the end. He has come to pay the redemption for our sin. He has redeemed us. He calls us his own, and he brings us life. Each person who has ever put their faith in him, who has ever been baptized into him. We have the power of the resurrection, and we must help others find it as well. Elijah foreshadows the resurrection when he prays that God will bring the boy to life. He shows that sin is not the end. I think it's so fascinating that this woman is fix, fixated on sin and death, and God brings life to her household. He brings life to us. Too often we only see our death and sin, and God wants us to know the life we have in him. I mean, we experience death every fall. We love the leaves changing, but we understand what it means. I really don't like when the grass in our front yard turns brown. I enjoy it being green. But the spring reminds us that life always comes after death. That there was always hope. We experience the resurrection and the mercies of God that are new every 
morning and the hope that we have. We experience the resurrection and the forgiveness of our sin when we give our life to Jesus. But when we look to Jesus, when we look for him, we find that he is the resurrection and he is our life. Jesus is our life. The woman is presented with her now alive son, which is a really fascinating thing to me. I mean, Elijah walks down the stairs. See, your son lives. There's no exclamation mark. It's a period. It's just, hey, your son's alive. And the woman is faced with the reality of the moment. She has seen God provide bread. She has seen that what her sin can do to her mentally and pushing him away and blaming. And now she sees that God brings life. And she says this to Elijah. Now I know that you're a man of God. The word of the Lord in your mouth is true. This woman had seen God provide, but it took the resurrection of life to her, for her to know that what God said was true. Even in what God providing her physical needs, she may have missed what he wanted to do. We do that sometimes. God provides and we somehow miss everything that he has to offer. But in this moment, the woman proclaims that she knows without a doubt that Elijah is God's servant. She knows that the word of God from his mouth is true. He's been sent to point people to the Lord. He's been sent to point her to the Lord. Elijah is the mediator for that wood of women. He wasn't her life. He could only point her to the one who is life. He could only point her to Jesus. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. That's where we find life, in Jesus. We look for it in work, our family, our cars, money, fame, but we only find life in Jesus. The truth's been handed down from generation to generation of those who follow him, from those who worshiped on the first day after the resurrection to those who worship today. He's the way. He's the one in whom we have life. Have you found your life in him? The, the widow's tale is a tale of death and loss and the triumph of the resurrection. I find it fascinating that at the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah are there with Jesus, the great prophets who had always pointed, always foreshadowed what Jesus would do for us on a much bigger scale. Sometimes we fail like the woman to realize that redemption from our sin is the greater need than bread and water. Our needs are met, the bills are paid, the car still drives, we have clothes on our backs, food on the table, and roofs overhead, yet we forget to recognize our great need for Jesus, fail to focus on our redemption from sin. In this story, we're both the woman and the son. In need of salvation from our sin, terrified that it will come back to haunt us, but needing the resurrection, the forgiveness that Jesus will give. We need him to resurrect us to life and find freedom in him. What do you need to be resurrected from? He offers us redemption if we'll turn to him. As our mediator, the ones who go before the Father, he goes before the Father on our behalf. We're also the mediator. We can't save anybody, but we are God's means of taking his name to the world, of sharing it with our friends. We're his hands and feet connecting his name to where we live. Elijah brought the word of God to a Sidonian woman. We bring the name of Jesus to the world where we live. On that day, the woman was given back her son. She was shown that though death, sin brings death, the Father gives life. She trusted in him. She believed. We're left with the understanding she did that for the rest of her days. 
How many of us through the years say, God, where is that? Where's that miracle? Would you do that again? Why aren't you raising people to life? Where's that that you were doing then? He says, I have come to redeem you. The cry of the broken and hurting, the longing of a savior for a savior, this is us. We're the woman and her son, aware of our sin, needing new life in Jesus. And we beg him to do it again in our lives and the lives of others to show us again afresh anew who he is. We ask God for the miracles in people's lives and we ask him for the miracle like he did in the life of the widow. We're the ones carrying the sweet smell of fresh bread to the world. The ones reminded by the bread and juice what God has done for us. The ones who remember the resurrection and help others experience it for themselves. We are the ones who help others look for Jesus. If you've never accepted him and joined in on the life that he has for you, I pray that you would find it. Life full and free. He is the bread of life. He is our life. If you've gotten what it is to live in that life, to remember, then I pray that you would. And what happens when we look for Jesus? In scripture and everywhere else. When we look for Christ, you will find him. And with him, you will find everything else that you could possibly need. Look for him in his word, in his followers, in prayer. We look for him. Where are you looking for him today? Father, help us to find you, to seek you, to see you, to know you, to live for you, to follow. May your spirit move now as it did in the days of Elijah. May the hope that we have in you be all we need. Move again among us. God, for those where your spirit is moving, if we need to accept you, then help us to accept and follow and live for you. God, help us to see you today. Help us to know that Christ is the bread of life, the one who takes away our sin and mediates for us. And help us to find him. God, we love you. Thankful for you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.